Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Monday, October 14th, we are studying Amos chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. This text kicks off a new series here on Sharper Iron. It's titled, The Day is Surely Drawing Near. Now, the days are literally growing shorter this time of year. We're in the middle of October right now. The hours of darkness overtake the hours of daylight. And yet, the words of St. Paul in Romans 13 remain true. He writes, You know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. That truth is ours in Jesus Christ, our crucified and risen Savior, who promises that he is also our coming Savior. He is coming soon. And so during these months of shortening days, the church year wisely turns our attention to that precise topic, the second coming of our Lord. That day is coming soon, like a thief in the night. No one knows the day or the hour except the Father, says Jesus. And that means for you and for me that the day of salvation is today. The promises of Christ must be grasped by faith now. Repentance must not be delayed. To treat the Lord's word concerning faith and life as an optional matter is to invite his wrath and his judgment. And so to help us here on Sharper Iron, focus on these end-of-the-church-year themes, themes like judgment and repentance, mercy and forgiveness, we are turning to the Old Testament prophet Amos. Amos doesn't pull any punches. He's going to show us that true darkness isn't a lack of sunlight. True darkness is a lack of faith in the one true God, Yahweh, the Lord. Amos is going to show us the seriousness of our sin. He's going to show us the reality of the Lord's judgment. But Amos isn't going to leave us without hope. In the midst of our sin and its darkness, Amos shines the light on the Savior, Jesus Christ, and that above all else. That is why we need this study. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ, as we begin the book of Amos today and study God's Word together, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Paul Pater. Pastor Pater serves at Shepherd of the Ridge Lutheran Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio, and Hope Lutheran Church in Sheffield Village, Ohio. Pastor Pater, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Hey, thanks for having me on. It's good to be back again. So, Pastor Pater, we are fast-forwarding, oh, about 700 years since you and I last visited here on, on Sharper Iron. We were looking at the book of Exodus. Just as a, as a, a real quick thing, give us a, a brief rundown of Old Testament history between the Exodus and the building of the tabernacle and where we're going to start with the book of Amos today. Sure. Yeah, we'll, we'll cover about 700 years in about seven seconds. So that seems about fair, right? Um, so, uh, so last time we talked, we were in, in Exodus, and um, after that time, the um, people eventually get into the promised land of Canaan, and the 12 tribes kind of uh, are established in their territories, but 
uh, doesn't take too long and there's a kind of a divided front between the, the two of them. They were united for a while, but um, after that, uh, Israel kind of broke off to the north and did its own thing, while uh, Judah in the south um, did its own thing. And we'll see in the text when we get there that it actually talks about how there's a, a king in one place and a king in the next, and kind of um, that division is really talked about quite a bit in, in Amos and kind of um, the ramifications of that division. Um, but you were, you were definitely right there in your introduction. Amos does not pull any punches in his text. I was uh, rereading the whole book uh, a little bit before the, the show this, uh, today. And, I mean, Amos kicks the people when they're down and then just for good measure, like, gives them another couple of good kicks. Like, he really hammers home uh, the law as, as Israel and Judah is concerned. Um, but then he, he has a little glimmer of, of hope for them at the end of the book that I hope we get to as well today. So, yeah, yeah. So I mean, that's kind of the it, lowdown of where we're at right now. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Amos, Amos, it, it's, it's brutal when, when you start reading it as, as we will, it just, he, he just, he hammers hard with the law and, and, and that's really what the people need. Right. I mean, so, and we saw that in the book of Exodus, that, that the people needed the proclamation of the law too. And it was true when they got into the promised land with Joshua 40 years after that, right. They still needed the law. It was true during the period of the judges, they needed the law. And then they, if there's a, as you might, I don't know, you, I don't know if we would want to call it the golden age, but the united monarchy, right? Which is that's that's Saul, David, and Solomon. That that's maybe the the golden age for the people of God, where where things seem the best, and yet even then, right? They still need the law, and it it only becomes true more and more with with or it becomes more true, I should say, with the divided monarchy, and that's that's where we are right now. And you, you talked about that up in the north, you've got. Israel. And that's really the majority of the promised land. You've got 10 tribes who, who go by Israel. And then in, in the south, you've got two tribes, really, and they go by the name Judah. And in the south, that's where that's where the Davidic king reigns. This is where the promised Messiah will come through that Davidic, Davidic line of, of kings. And we'll, we'll get into that when we get to the text. And, and the north, though, they don't have that same line. And the north was, was started by a guy by the name of, of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, who's, who's different than the Jeroboam we're going to talk about in Amos. And, and Jeroboam, son of Nebat, he had such a promising start, but, but he led the people of Israel into terrible idolatry. And this is going to sound familiar for us here on Sharper Iron. Jeroboam, son of Nebat, knew that he didn't have Jerusalem in his territory. And of course, Jerusalem was where the temple was, and he didn't want his people's uh, allegiance is divided. And so what did he do so that they wouldn't have to go to Jerusalem to worship the Lord? He built two golden calves, one up in the north of his territory in Dan and one in the south at Bethel. And boy, and you talk about a people not really learning their lesson, right? Right. Building like, two golden calves. Remember Exodus at all? The golden calf yeah. thing didn't really work very well the first right. time. Right. Right. And, and so that, that background, this divided monarchy, where you've got the, the small kingdom Judah, who's got the Davidic line in Jerusalem, 
and you've got Israel in the north who, who doesn't have the Davidic line and has these two golden calves, that background is, is going to be helpful to us. And we'll dig into that not only today, but throughout this series in Amos, because that, that's really going to help us understand some of the things that, that Amos says. So yeah, we're, we're about 700 years later. The, the Exodus takes place it, around 1446 BC, and the prophet Amos is about 700 years later. So, so Pastor Pater, go ahead and, and give us just some background on, on this fellow we call Amos. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so Amos, he's writing around uh, 792 to 740 BC, somewhere in there. We get those dates um, from the the names of the kings that uh, we're going to mention here as we get to the text. Um, so he's writing right around that time. He's writing around the same time as uh, Isaiah, uh, and he's writing to Israel and to Judah uh, to warn them that God's going to punish them for the. Uh, injustices that they have going on in the land, especially uh, the oppression of the poor that they have. Um, the text talks about um, selling uh, the poor for, uh, I mean, sandals from someone's feet. Like they're they're really oppressing poor people. Um, not only that, there's a lot of, as you mentioned before, a lot of idolatry going around. There's a lot of kind of empty uh, ritualism going on that the people are worshiping, but they're not really worshiping in the ways that God has laid out for them. You know, especially in, in the north, as you mentioned before, there's those kingdoms that have these, um, these golden calves, and it's just like, these are, these are not things we should be, be worshiping. Um, but he also, uh, in this book, talks about that there's going to be a, a remnant of, of people who are going to uh, be saved. And it's uh, kind of interesting as I was doing some study about this book, uh, just the the prophet's name, Amos, um, I always thought that was kind of a, a cool name until I found out what his name means. His name means burden. So you got to imagine um, being named burden. This is not a name you would really strive for. And as I was looking up some some different things about, you know, why people think he was named this way, um, some said, you know, it could signify the burden that Amos is going to have to carry in giving God's law to the people, um, but it could also signify the burden that God's people are going to have to bear because of their sin. Um, so it, it's kind of like a little bit of a, a two-edged sword there of um, Amos is going to have this burden in carrying this law to God's people because it's going to be a very heavy law. It's going to be very um, harsh to God's people. Um, but at the same time, as, as God's people hear this law and receive that law, they're going to get burdened themselves by their, their sin and their shame. So um, there's kind of a, a lot of that stuff going on in the text. Um, also, as I was looking things up, um, Amos is, is quoted twice in the New Testament. It's quoted in uh, Acts chapter 7 and Acts chapter 15. So the, the New Testament talks um, about uh, the book of Amos a little bit. Um, and as I was doing a little bit of uh, just looking within our own tradition and in our um, lectionary use of Amos, it's really pretty fragmented. We don't really get a whole lot of Amos. Uh, if we do get Amos, I think the longest stretch we get is seven verses. So we kind of get seven verses out of context throughout the church here. There's a couple of, I think there's, uh, five different times in the three-year lectionary you read Amos, and it's, it's never uh, 
start to finish. It's uh, We'll take a couple of verses here and read those. So um, I know I learned a lot as I was kind of studying for this today, a lot about Amos and a lot about kind of his life and, and his ministry as he, he tries to um, deliver this this law, this burden to God's people while at the same time trying to give them a little bit of hope at the end. So, Sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Amos... With his life, yeah. Amos isn't the the best known of the prophets among Christians, probably. Although I, I certainly wouldn't call him the least known among the prophets either. He does show up occasionally in the readings that we'll hear in in worship um, using the three year lectionary, um, and and he's not unknown. In fact, in in some ways, Amos Amos will get quoted. I, I think you know, and, and even occasionally in in secular contexts. This you, you mentioned earlier that that Amos writes in particular, to warn about injustice and idolatry. And, and I think we can we can fall off on either side when it comes to Amos. There, there are some who would want to really emphasize the injustice that Amos preaches against, as, as we'll see. But they do so to the neglect of the idolatry that, that Amos preaches against, as, as if the Christian life is simply about how well we treat our neighbor without any talk about our relationship to God. That's that's one way that the book of Amos could be misused. The other way that it could be misused is, is the opposite, right? To, to focus on, on the idolatry that Amos preaches against, as if that has no bearing on the way then that, that our lives are lived and the way that we do treat our neighbor. And, and, and so I, I think as we, as we dig into Amos, we want to we keep that in mind, that, that we don't want to misuse it in either way, and we want to see both of those, certainly as the idolatry as the starting point, right? The first commandment is first for a reason. But that first commandment then flows forth into, into the other nine and the way not only that we love God, but the way that we love our neighbor. And Amos is going to help us with both of those things, I think, Pastor Pater. Yeah. Yeah, well, and, and like you were saying before, it's, it's, you don't want to just look at one aspect of this, because I know there's, there's some who might look at, at Amos and, and try to take passages of it out of context to then try to apply them to modern-day situations that don't really correlate with the, the context of what's going on. So, uh, so when we read Amos, we need to read it in kind of his context and, and what's going on and then see, you know, if there are a, applications for our lives today, what those applications might be um, versus I'm going to look at my context and then try to read my context back into Amos because that's, that's not going to work very well. Right, exactly. And, and we, so we, we can't take Amos out of his, his 8th century BC context, the 700s BC, where he's speaking to the people of Israel who are at tension with the people of Judah and, and the Davidic king there. We, we need to see all these things. We can't, can't just read Amos for his ethics without reading him for his, his faith, his faith in the one true God who takes center stage for Amos, and we'll see that in the text we have for today, as well as the, the whole book. Uh, Pastor Peter, before we go ahead and, and read just the two verses that we're going to look at today, why don't you just give us a, a quick rundown of, of kind of the, the contours of, of the book of Amos for us? Yeah, yeah. So the, the first chapters kind of start out with the judgments of the nations that are around Israel. 
And I kind of imagine the people of Israel and the people of Judah listening to this and um, hearing these other nations get judged. And I kind of imagine them almost going like, yeah, I give it to them, God. You know, these are awful people. These are our enemies. Yeah, just, just lay the law on them. Um, but what they don't realize is that what God's really doing is just tightening the circle around them so that when it comes toward the end of chapter 2, you've got God judging Judah and Israel. Um, and they're, they're all of a sudden not so happy about this judgment anymore. They're like, wait, 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 don't, don't convict us like you've convicted the, the nations around us. Um, but the reason I think God does this, he starts out with the nations around him, and kind of, it, it's almost like a noose going around the neck of Israel and Judah, and they don't realize it until the end of chapter 2 where God pulls the noose tight and says, all right, you, you said these other nations should be judged for their sins. Here's yours. Here's your idolatry. Here's your injustice. The same things the other nations are doing. And now the, the noose is around their neck, and they, they've got no way to escape. Um, so in the first couple of chapters, there's I, I kind of call them the, the numerical judgments. It, it starts out um, for three transgressions of, and then they'll name a country, and then for four, I will not revoke my punishment. So he does this again and again for three and for four, for three and for four, and um, in, in the end of chapter two, Judah's got their three and their four too. So they're they're just like the nations around them. Uh, the only difference is, as he he mentions here in in chapter three, he says, "I'm going to punish you uh, because you're my family. Like you should you know better. You should have known better than to go the way of the nations around you." And he kind of talks like a a father disciplining his his children. It's not that the dad relishes in disciplining his children. It's like the dad very much enjoys that. It's the dad's like, I've gotta I've gotta discipline you. You're acting like kids who are, are not heeding my word and if you don't heed my word there's going to be consequences and, and very real problems. Um so as you kind of go through the, the rest of the, the book here in chapter 4, uh, God talks about how he has brought all of these calamities and, and hardships on the people of Israel. And there's a common refrain uh, through like verses 6 and 11 of, um, I've did all these things to you, yet you did not return to me. So God is, is, is doing these things to, to, to punish his people so that they return to him, but they won't return. They, they won't come back. Um, they are just pleased to wallow in their, their own sin. They want to, want to keep doing those things. So they keep sinning. They keep doing things that are against God's commandments and um, a little bit later, we'll, I'm sure, be talking about the, the Day of the Lord as that's kind of the, the theme of the uh, series that we're starting here today. But uh, especially as you get into the, lat uh, the, the later chapters of the text, you have um, that this Day of the Lord is coming. And when it comes, it's going to be absolutely terrifying uh, for the people who are found opposed to God. 
um, to the point where when Amos warns of the, the coming destruction, especially for uh, Israel and for the northern kingdom, uh, there's another priest in, in Bethel who uh, basically tries to have Amos brought up on charges of treason because he said, well, the king's and uh, the kingdom's going to be destroyed and the king's going to be killed. Um, you know, Amos, how can you say these things? Um, and there's a, a lot of death and destruction coming. Um, but like I said, there's that little bit of hope you get at the end of the chapter 9 there as well as this, um, this booth of, of David is going to be restored. And we'll talk a little bit about that um, probably after the break, I would guess. Sure. Yeah. And, and just so, you know, that, that's a helpful way of, of looking at it real, real quickly, the way that the way that I, I think is maybe just a quick summary. Chapters one and two are these oracles against nations, as you were saying, where the Lord says for three transgressions or for four of various nations, including his own people, as, as we'll see in, in a few days. Right. So you've got these oracles against the nations in the first two chapters. And then the rest of the book kind of says, well, how did we get there, right? right. Particularly with the northern people, Israel. And so chapters three through six are, are what you might call Amos's sermons there to Israel. And then starting in, in chapter seven, all the way through the end of the book in chapter nine, you get these visions that Amos sees culminating, culminating as, as you keep pointing us to the very end where, where these last few verses of Amos do give us a great vision of hope when it comes to the Lord resurrecting the, the fallen booth of David and, and pointing us forward to, to Christ. And, and that hope stands prominently for Amos. But, but as you keep saying, right, before you get there, it's a very dark picture right. for the people of Israel. The Lord is, yeah. is quite serious about his word and the way that his people have fallen into unbelief. And it's not a matter to be ignored. Yeah. To me, Amos reminds me of if you've ever seen like a TV show where they start out in like the last five minutes of the show and, you know, they start and they, they get to this really kind of climactic scene um, and then they do the rewind of, okay, how did we get to this point where everything has gone wrong? To me, Amos is, is, is kind of doing that of, okay, here's, the, here's what's going to happen. Death and destruction are coming. And the, the crazy thing is they're coming for God's people. Um, it's not that just the, the enemies of God are, are going to have uh, difficulty in the days to come. It's all of people, all of all of even God's own children are going to have these issues. Um, and then, like I said, it kind of does that, that rewind, go back, okay, why is Israel and Judah, why are they getting judged like the rest of the nations around them? Let's go back and see what they did. Um, and then at the end, it's almost kind of like the um, like I'm a, I'm a big fan of the the Marvel movies, and at the end of the movies, there's always like the the credits are rolling, and then they have kind of like a post credit scene that sets up the next thing. Um, so like at the end of Amos here, you've got that like Marvel post credit scene of like there's something coming, and it's gonna be awesome and and amazing, and and look forward to seeing that. Um, and in this case, it's of course. Um, the, the coming Messiah who's going to come and, and rescue and redeem 
not only Israel and Judah, but redeem you and me as well as, as Gentiles some almost 3,000 years after this text from Amos was written. So, Right. So, so in, in other words, stick around, right? Till, right. till, till the end of the book of Amos, there's, there's going to be some episodes here on Sharper Iron where, where the text is not going to look like there's much hope, but, but stick around because, because the Lord has a promise and, and it's very prominent in the book of, of Amos and, and, and Amos won't make any sense without it. So, so stick around, hear everything that Amos has to say, let him, let him preach the law to you so that you are prepared to hear his, his wonderful gospel concerning the Savior Jesus Christ. We, we got just under two minutes here, Pastor Pater. So I'm going to go ahead and, and read the text that we have before us. So it's only two verses, just to start getting a flavor for this preacher from Tekoa. So Amos 1, verses 1 and 2. The words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. And he said, The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn, and the top of Carmel withers. That's Amos 1, 1 and 2. Pastor Peter, very briefly, help us into these verses with a minute left. Well, um, it's, it's kind of interesting at the beginning here where Amos says that he's among the shepherds. So in about chapter 7, uh, Amos replies to someone that, you know, he's not a prophet. He's not a prophet's son, that he was uh, a shepherd. He was working amongst the herdsmen. He was um, taking care of sycamore trees and how God is going to use this ordinary guy named Amos um, from the south to preach and to proclaim. Amos reminds me of like a second career guy from seminary. So um, that the, the second career guys were guys that worked another job before they came to the seminary to become pastors. And every second career guy that I knew, their first career really flavored how they viewed ministry. Um, and Amos, in my mind, is, is the same way. So you're going to read throughout his text. He's going to sound like a shepherd. He's going to sound like a guy who um, has taken care of sheep. He's going to sound like a guy who has heard lions roar as he's defended his sheep. And it's uh, this work that he has as a shepherd and as a farmer is really going to tie into his work as a prophet. And it's just cool to see how God uses ordinary people that, you know, weren't prophets or prophets' sons to go and, and to share his word. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on Worldwide KFO. We need to take a quick break, but we will be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233.
Welcome back to Sharper Iron on this Monday, October 14th, as we look at Amos 1, verses 1 through 2, with Pastor Paul Pater of Shepherd of the Ridge Lutheran Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio, and Hope Lutheran Church in Sheffield Village, Ohio. Pastor Pater, prior to the break, we just read those two verses, and we see here that we've got Amos. You said his, his name means burden, and he's among the shepherds. And, and you talked about how that's going to flavor his, his preaching later on. We're going to see him use agricultural imagery. Um, just as a, a, an aside, it would, this word that's used here for shepherds in Amos 1.1 is not the typical Hebrew word for shepherds, uh, but, but rather is a word that, that maybe places Amos, rather than being the guy who's out in the fields, not, I mean, he, he would have had that experience. But but maybe more among like the sheep breeders, um, more like a uh, a head shepherd. So so not, I guess the the point that I want to make with that is that maybe not the lowest of the low here, but someone who's got some experience with higher society, which is also going to color his his preaching later on. Um, so so that this this shepherd Amos, he's seen the different levels of society, he's going to be able to, to speak to, to all people. And it, as you said, you know, his, his experience is going to color his preaching. God's going to use that experience in his preaching as one who was uh, among the shepherds. Um, and, and he's from, from a place called Tekoa. Uh, Pastor Pater, give us some more background info on Amos here. Yeah. So like you were saying, um, so he's this, this sheep breeder. He's from Tekoa. This is a, a fortified city down in Judah. So he's a, as I mentioned kind of before the break, he's a Southern preacher, like, and I don't mean like Southern baptist -y. I mean like he's from the, the Southern kingdom, um, but he's going to be leveling a lot of his um, judgments and complaints against the North. I mean, Judah still gets their fair share of, of heavy law, but um, a lot of the, the preaching that he's going to do is going to be against the North because they've broken themselves away from um, the temple in Jerusalem. They've broken themselves away from really being a part of, of God's presence among his people in, in Jerusalem. So um, as Amos is going along here, he's, he's preaching from this, this fortified city um, from Tekoa, and he sees these um, visions and it, it's kind of interesting the way that the the text talks about it. It's it's the words of Amos uh, which he saw. Which when you think of of words, um, you really don't think about so much maybe seeing them, especially in, in their culture where maybe literacy wasn't wasn't very um, high. Um, but the the idea of there's these visions that are coming to to Amos, and as they they come to him, these are visions of of judgment, um, that these visions come, uh, and it says uh, uh, that he uh, saw these concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. So he mentions uh, uh, an earthquake here, and it must have been a pretty big one because he doesn't say, um, you know, it was two years before an earthquake. It was two years before the earthquake. Um, so it must have been something that was very um, 
very traumatic or very um, kind of something that, that would have caused people to, to remember it. Um, so I don't know if you remember when you and I were in, in seminary, there was actually an earthquake when we were in St. Louis, right? Um, I do But I would not that. have referred to that one as the earthquake. Um, the right. worst it made my hands do was bounce on my keyboard a little bit when I was trying to type. It wasn't, it wasn't bad. It wasn't the earthquake. Um, but here he's talking about the earthquake. This is something big. Um, and uh, as I was reading some commentaries, they were talking about this earthquake as being the thing that really authenticates Amos's preaching, that Amos is talking about this, this thing that's going to happen, and then boom, there's this earthquake two years later that points back to uh, the, the preaching that he has here uh, as he's talking about these, these two kings and kind of the, the kingdom around them. So. Right, yeah, I mean, the earthquake, the, this is not just any old earthquake, but this would have been a, mom, a momentous occasion. Um, similar, you know, here here in Bastrop County in, in Texas, we talk about the fire, that's that's 2011 when, when over 34,000 acres burned, right? I mean, that's the fire. Um, so this is the earthquake, or, or just how like 9-11, and you, you hear that and you mm -hmm. know what you're talking about. It's not just right. any September 11th, but that's September 11th, 2001. That's the same idea here we've got in Amos 1-1. And I think you're exactly right. This is... This is the validation of Amos's preaching in Deuteronomy chapter 18. The, the Lord is is telling His people how to how to recognize a, a true prophet from a false one, and a true prophet is, is one who, who what they say it happens. And of course, that's that's true for Amos that what he says happens. And so the, the earthquake serves as a, a validation for him, which which connects us to you know New Testament earthquakes too. You, you think of prominent New Testament earthquakes, well, especially around the crucifixion and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, that, that God gives right. his amen to what our what Jesus did. A similar thing is, is happening here in, in Amos uh, 1, verse 1. So also, you know, these, these guys, right? Uh, you've got Uzziah, king of Judah, and Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of, of Israel. Again, these are, these are all helping us very much date Amos, you know, you gave him uh, those dates, 792 to 740 BC, some sometime in there, probably uh, a lot of things that, that I read, you know, around 760 BC is, is what we're looking at here. Right. Uh, but but who are these? Who are these two kings? Yeah, yeah. Who are, who are these two kings? Uzziah in Judah and Jeroboam in Israel. All right. Uh, so Uzziah, um, he's named first for a reason. He's the king of Judah. He's the rightful king of really the whole of, of Judah and Israel, if Israel hadn't broken off and done their own thing. Um, he's the rightful king that's in David's family line. Um, it's his family line that the, the Messiah is going to come from. Um, so the, uh, he starts to reign as king at age uh, 16, so he's a very young king, uh, and he reigned for 52 years. So, I mean, he, he had quite a quite a long reign as the, the rightful king of Judah. Um, elsewhere in scripture, it talks about him, and it says that he, uh, he did right in the eyes of the Lord. So oftentimes when you're reading through like kings and chronicles and things like that, um, there's, there's two distinctions, right? There's the, um, this person did right in the eyes of the Lord, or um, this person did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So Uzziah is one of those kings that, that did right. Um, there was just kind of one major transgression against him that's uh, mentioned in, in Second Chronicles. Um, he, he burned some unauthorized incense 
uh, at the Lord's altar. That was something only the priests could do. Um, and a spot of, of leprosy broke out on his forehead, and it's actually with him till the day he dies. Um, so, but that's kind of like the one little, I, I hate to use the word, but blemish, um, pardon the pun, um, but that's kind of the one blemish on his um, life and career is that he he did something he wasn't authorized to do. And you can look at Second uh, Chronicles 25 and read a little bit more about that. But for the most part, Uzziah is a guy who has done right in the eyes of the Lord. He's a guy who's been faithful in his task as king. I mean, he reigned for, for 52 years, so um, he's he's a king who's on the right track at the very least. Um, which yeah, he's, he's also... Say about Jeroboam. <laughs> Well, sure. Yeah, no, exactly. You're, you're right. So when when it comes to the kings of Judah, with the kings of Judah, there there are some who do what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and, and Uzziah is one of them. That doesn't mean they're sinless, right? I mean, King David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and, and we know what happens to him in 2 Samuel 11 and 12 with with. Bathsheba and and Uriah her husband. So, but but they did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. They were faithful to the Lord's word and, and led the people faithfully, right? Even in the midst of their their sin. And so Uzziah is one of those kings. Um, and and more importantly for Amos's purposes, as you said, he's named first because he's he's reminding the people that he's preaching to up in the north where the promises of God are. They're coming through this Davidic line, and especially where the Lord chooses to reign there in Jerusalem and, and where he dwells in his temple. And so by placing Uzziah, king of Judah, first, he's he's already preaching to the people of Israel where their hope is going to lie. And, and that Messiah that's going to come in chapter 9, right? We're already hearing about his line here in, in 1 verse 1 with Uzziah. With Uzziah. But as you, as you said, Jeroboam, and this is not the first Jeroboam, right? This is Jeroboam the second. Jeroboam the first was the guy who put the, the golden calf in, in Bethel and, and Dan for his people to, to worship these idols. This is Jeroboam the second, not, not related by line, but he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord, did he, Pastor Pater? Right. Now, it's like you were saying, he's, he's, he's mentioned second. He's, he's the apostate king of the northern kingdom. They've cut themselves off from the dwelling place of God in Judah. Um, so he actually reigns in Samaria uh, for 42 years. Um, so, I mean, he still got, has a, a pretty lengthy uh, reign as king, um, but his reign isn't nearly as as well received by God as Uzziah's. Because uh, Jeroboam's, his, uh, as I was reading through a little bit about his life, I, as it talks about him, it says, he has caused all of Israel to sin. That's not what you want to hear from God, that you've caused an entire country to sin. Um, they also, uh, in other parts of the Old Testament, say that he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Like, this is a, a king who is not reigning in accordance with, with God's word. He's not letting God's word be the thing that, that guides him and leads him as he leads the people. Uh, and you have to imagine that as the... Northern Kingdom, as you mentioned before, has these 10 out of the, the 12 tribes. They must have thought, well, we're the majority, right? Like there's the vast majority of us are up here. Uh, majority rules. We 
Um, you know, your tiny little tribe of, of Judah doesn't really amount to a whole lot of nothing. Um, and as Jeroboam is, is reigning, uh, he's just causing his people to sin again and again and again. Uh, and the, the judgment that's going to be coming for Israel is, is going to be pretty severe. I mean, in, yeah. the northern kingdom is eventually going to, to fall and it's actually going to fall within um, probably the lifetime of, of Amos. I mean, it falls in 722 B.C. Um, so we were saying, you know, this was written anywhere between nine or 792 to 740, maybe somewhere around 760. I mean, this is obviously um, within the lifetimes of some of these people that the northern kingdom is just going to be gone. Like, it's not going to exist anymore. And, Judah is going to be the only thing that remains. Um, so we're going to see a, a, a lot of those themes kind of carried out throughout the rest of the book here. Right. Yeah. The when when the I said earlier, you know that that Uzziah is one of the kings of Judah who's who said he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. There are some kings of Judah, plenty of them, in fact, that don't that do what was evil right. in the sight of the Lord. The kings of Israel, on the other hand, the ones who are in the north. There are none of those kings who do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And, and as you tied it to the reason is because they never got rid of those those idols in, in Bethel and Dan. They left that, that sin of Jeroboam, son of Nebat. They let that stand. And they became secure in that sin. And I think that that's something that really stands out about this Jeroboam II, Jeroboam, son of Joash, who's the king of Israel. And you were highlighting this, too, from an... From an earthly outward perspective, when you look at Israel, the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom, the northern kingdom is the one that looks the most impressive. And particularly under the reign of Jeroboam, son of Joash, the, the king during Amos's time, he, he led the people of Israel through some really prosperous times economically and politically. You can, you can go and, and read more about that in 2 Kings 14 and, and hear about Jeroboam, the son of Joash, even expanding the borders of Israel. And so these were really prosperous times for the people of Israel. And, and even the people of Judah were, were subservient. We, we also read in 2 Kings 14 that, that Judah was actually a, a vassal. They were paying tribute to, to Israel at this time. And so from that, that outward worldly perspective, right, Israel looks like everything is great during the, the reign of, of Amos, or not the reign, the, during the ministry of Amos. Right. Amos well, is going to come along the, you see that, and say that, no. That, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Um, um, I was going to say that you see that pattern kind of throughout Israel's history. If they're doing well um, financially, economically, they really quickly forget God. Like, it seems like the more financially well-off they are, the quicker they are to just ditch any sort of authentic spiritual life and, and just give in to whatever the, the nations are, are doing around them. Um, and, you know, as we think about kind of our own lives, too, in those times when we're when we feel you know stable and and secure and and kind of set, um, there's often that uh, temptation to just be like, oh, I don't really need God now, do I? I mean, I'm 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 set by myself. I've got my um, I've got my finances in order. I've got everything I need. I don't really need God, do I? Um, and that's you know we fall into kind of that same 
sin that the, the northern kingdom was fallen into. Uh, we let whatever idols, money, possessions, whatever kind of take place of of God in our lives and end up those end up being the things that we worship instead of the the true God. Mm, yeah, the the economic and political prosperity that the northern kingdom Israel was enjoying uh, was due to the fact that they were worshiping money, that they were worshiping idols, and those idols caused them to become like them. And, and so they they got this prosperity, as, as we'll see as we read through the book of Amos, through entirely in unjust ways, right? This was complete injustice, and it stemmed from their idolatry, to use those, those two terms that we used earlier again. And, and so, yeah, it, outwardly, Israel looks great at this time. But inwardly, they're rotten. As Jesus says of, of the religious leaders during his day, they're whitewashed, whitewashed tombs. Um, and, and Amos very well could have used that same phrase in, in his preaching. And, and so with that historical context laid out for us in, in Amos 1 verse 1, then in verse 2, we get what you might call a summary of, of Amos preaching. And, and it starts with this just wonderful phrase, the Lord roars from Zion, and he utters his voice from Jerusalem, which, I mean, there's so much that, that we can look at there, this image of the Lord as a lion, and just so that we don't pass over it, because I'm sure you, you want to hit that especially, but notice that the Lord is roaring from Zion, and he's speaking from Jerusalem, just like Uzziah, king of Judah, is mentioned first. When Amos shows up preaching in the north, he tells them, hey, remember Jerusalem? that's where the Lord is speaking from. And he's, he's pointing out that, that truth already here. But, but what about this phrase, the Lord roars, Pastor Peter? Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard, uh, so when I, when I picture a lion roaring, I picture, I can't remember what movie studio it is that has the lion roar at the beginning of the, you know, beginning of yeah. all our movies. M I think it's um, MGM. Yeah. Yeah. That might yeah. be it. Um, so I, I picture that, but that, that roar is actually, I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of weak, you know, because there's mm. a barrier between you and that animal, right? There's the scream. It's not a very scary roar. I don't know if you've heard uh, an animal, maybe not necessarily a lion or, or like a bear or something. I don't know if you've heard something roar when you're in close proximity to it. When something roars and you're in close proximity to it, it is the thing that will scare the ever living pants off of you um my dad told a story once of he was out bear hunting um and he heard this bear just let out this roar and he's like yeah that's probably the most terrified i've been in my entire life because my dad was out bow hunting and um he's like yep that's 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 scary stuff right there so when you hear in this text um that the Lord roars from Zion. Um, this is not the MGM, you know, lion going roar. This is a loud bellowing, you need to be terrified and running the other direction kind of roar. This is something that should scare the shirt right off of you. This is terrifying stuff. Um, and as you mentioned, you know, he's doing this, he's doing this from Zion, from Jerusalem. He's not doing it from the north, but he's doing it to the north. That well and to, to Judah as well. But he's doing it to them so that they know what's going on, that they know that their sin 
is about to be brought down on their heads. And, and when Yahweh roars, it's scary stuff. Because you see in the, the next part of that verse that creation itself just withers around um, as, as the Lord has roared here, that the, the pastures of the shepherds mourn. So like we said before, Amos is a, a shepherd or a, a sheep breeder, um, and the first image he uses here is the, the pastures mourning and uh, the top of, of Carmel just, just withering away. Um, so there's something very intense going on with this, this roar of Yahweh here. Yeah, this, this is not um, a celebratory roar, right? I mean, when you right. think about how, that, how sounds might, might be used till, still today, the, the crowd at a, a sporting event right, goes wild when something great happens, and you get this celebration that, that comes out as a roar. And, and maybe that's what Israel would have been expecting, right? When, when Amos shows up to preach to them, yeah, the Lord roars, you're doing great. No, no, the no, exact the opposite is true. Terribly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. He, he roars as, as a lion. And, and when he roars, creation begins to wither. The, the top of Carmel, even a, a mountain in, in northern Israel, a, a site where um, maybe, maybe we remember in our Old Testament history in 1 Kings 18, Mount Carmel is where Elijah has that famous contest with the prophets of Baal. And the Lord sends fire down upon his altar and burns it all up, right? And so Mount Carmel is, is associated with that that Baal worship, uh, Baal being a, a god of fertility for the Canaanites. And, and what's the Lord going to do when he roars? That that all withers, right? No no fertility there from from false gods. The Lord, the Lion Yahweh, he he roars, and and when he roars, his his people must listen. And this is, this is, I mean, this is going to color all of, of Amos's preaching that the Lord is a roaring lion and, and he's coming for his own people, for Israel. They're the ones that need to repent. And, and, and we'll, we'll see how that, that plays out in the book of Amos, but just to, to lay that foundation today, that the Lord is roaring and he's coming for his own people. They're the ones that need to repent. Uh, Pastor Pater, we, we've got about three and a half minutes left on the morning here. We've, yeah. we've talked extensively about a variety of things, and you, you've mentioned it several times, that, that right now things look very bleak already for the people of Israel as, as Amos comes from the south preaching to them. But, but the book of Amos isn't going to, to leave us without any hope. How's, how's Amos going to, to bring us there by the end of his book? Right. Well, um, one of the things that I was um, using for the study of this was um, Dr. Reed Lessing. He has a commentary on Amos that was a really amazing resource for this. And he starts out his commentary by using the imagery of C.S. Lewis's uh, A Lion, a Witch, and a Wardrobe, uh, that Aslan is um, this, this lion that's pictured, and he's the, the Christ figure in Lewis's books. And there's, there's some characters that are talking and they are talking about this this big powerful lion, and it's like someone asks, "Well, well, is is he safe?" And someone responds, oh, "Good heavens, no, he's not safe, but he's good." Uh, and that, as we look at the the Lord roaring in this text here, there's that image of, "Is God safe?" 
<laughs> no, not by a long shot, but he is good. And at the end of Amos, you see there's this restoration of David's booth as he has um, come here. So let me just uh, read this. It's from uh, verse 11 in, in chapter 9 here. In that day I will raise up uh, the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. And he later talks about the days are coming when the plowman's going to overtake the reaper, that the treader of grapes is going to overtake the one who sows the seed. In other words, there's going to be so much prosperity for God's people coming that uh, the impossible is going to happen. You know, a plowman would never be able to overtake the reaper just because of the, the, the harvest times and when they're at. But here they're saying the harvest is going to be so abundant, so prosperous that uh, this overtaking is, is going to happen. And this, this restoration um, that is promised here at the end of the book, um, who bears Yahweh's roar? It's Jesus who's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So you have the image here of, of Yahweh roaring against his people, that this roar of his law is absolutely terrifying, and the only thing that can pacify that roar is the silence of a Lamb who's going to give his body and blood on the cross for us for the forgiveness of our sins. It's found in in Jesus, the Lamb of God. And I think to me that's just a, a powerful image of what's this thing that can stop Yahweh's roar, not only against Israel's sin and Judah's sin, but my sin uh, and, and your sin, all of our sin. What's the one thing that can stop it? The Lamb, Jesus, who, who gave and shed his blood for us. So then, to me that's just a very powerful image. And, and it's really the the hope that Amos is talking about here at the end of his book, that there's going to be a restoration of, of David's booth as the Messiah comes from David's family line. Pastor Paul Pater is the pastor at Shepherd of the Ridge Lutheran Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio, and Hope Lutheran Church in Sheffield Village, Ohio, helping us this morning with the beginning of the book of Amos and the first two verses, Amos 1, verses 1-2. Pastor Pater, thank you for your time. Thank you. Appreciate it. I love being on. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.